Hello and welcome. You are listening to Resiliency, a podcast that takes an inside look at enhancing the vitality and resilience of field workers. From experts in member care to frontline field workers, our guests will bring you their experience, their lessons learned, and always something practical you can take away and use to increase your resiliency in cross-cultural life and ministry. Co-hosts Silas West and Steve Finley are just one part of an ever-growing and strengthening net of member care in the Antioch movement. They want to see Matthew 24, 14 happen and do everything they can to help field workers have the kind of resilience that enables them to make it for the long haul. Well, listeners, welcome to Resiliency. We've got Clinton and Amber Garcia in the house. Welcome to the podcast, you guys. Why don't you start us off by telling our audience who you are and a little bit about where you live. Okay, we are Amber and Clinton Garcia. We have been in Thailand since August 15, 2001. We have um, seven children, two of which are married to Thais and six grandchildren. We, yeah, I mean, we've been in Thailand for uh, almost 20 years now and um, really love it. Yeah. Some of the things that we've done um, in ministry cross-culturally is um, we planted a church in the village, a very rural village, 25,000 people. It's still there today. It's small, but it's there. We um, started Bible school, and uh, we've shown the Jesus film in markets, uh, in front of temples, up in the mountains. Um, Super fun. That's kind of one of our favorite things to do. Um, And then I have a heart and a burden for the marginalized, and so I've worked with uh, street kids. We've started um, a children's home in Hot Yai, and... We taught some street kids that were Rohingyan, who are like a stateless uh, people group from Burma, um, got them into school, taught them how to read and write. Um, some of them got them like a temporary citizenship type thing for Thailand because they're stateless. I worked in a brothel with a Thai doctor and um, we did exams on the women in there because in Thailand you have to have like a pink card saying that you've been examined. And so that was like a just instant way to have hands-on access to the women. And yeah, so that's some of the things that we've done. What are some of the hardships that y'all faced as you especially ministered in South Southern Thailand all those years? Uh, you know, hardships, uh, they are, everybody's hardship is theirs, right? So some people's hardship is language. Some people's hardship is culture. Some people's hardship is the people themselves, like every individual. Yes, some people learning Spanish, is was it hard or easy? And they're like, oh man, it was so easy. And yes, the next person is like, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Mm-hmm. So for me, the most difficult thing that I ever faced in Thailand was learning the language. I mean, it was just so hard. I just, being a Southeast Texas boy, uh, being raised on, you know, meat and potatoes and then moving to Thailand, especially small town, southern Thailand, mm-hmm. and picking up the language, 44 consonants, 26 vowels, five tones. So you can say one word five ways and it means literally means five different things. Mm-hmm. So just working through the language. I mean, I re- remember early on driving my motorcycle home. And literally in tears, mm-hmm. like saying, you picked the wrong person, Lord. Like, what's wrong with you? You sent the wrong guy to Southern Thailand. Find somebody else to do this because this language is killing me. Mm-hmm. And then getting up the next day and going back to language. 
and then coming home and doing it again and literally going upstairs. I mean, my wife would tell you, I, I would go upstairs and I would lay on the floor in my room, turn on Rita Springer. I had, you know, J.D. Griffin says, Rita Springer knows your pain. <laughs> and I would lay out, literally lay out on the floor and just weep for hours and say, God, what are you doing to me? Like, why are, why am I going through this so deeply with language? And then the next morning, get up, put my backpack on, drive to language school. Three or four hours later, come home, do the same thing. It was literally month after month of this just struggle. And then there was breakthrough. Mm. And then there was struggle again. And then there was breakthrough. And then there was struggle again. But, you know, we just kept going. We just kept going back to language school. I mean, I think I went through the program of language school, the whole program from beginning to end, like three times. I mean, started all the way over, back to the front, did it again. Back to the front, started over again. I'm like, am I ever going to get this? It took him six years to be able to preach and, like, really... And, and then we partnered together with a local pastor, and and I was um, I remember I was preaching with a translator who had preached this numerous times, and I was preaching on building an altar for the fire of God, your heart being an altar for the fire of God, and she just could not translate that day, and the Holy Spirit said, "You're never going to preach in English again in Thailand," hmm. and I was like. <laughs> like really and, but, but from that moment forward just started preaching to Thai wow. but it was just that constant pressure and pain of like this language is killing me mm-hmm. just killing me we've oh. had we've had hardships of um, we've had curses put on us he was in the village once with a witch doctor and well he was showing the Jesus film to people and the witch doctor in the in the village was not happy about it put a curse on him and he literally almost died that night he mm-hmm. called me so he would go into a village it was um the model where you go in you bring nothing you see if somebody invites you in mm-hmm. what is that luke 10 is it luke 10 um and Before luke 10 was popular Yes. <laughs> um, called them ten. That's right. It was. You brought really. it into vogue. <laughs> but um, so he would go in, and that particular weekend, nobody had invited him in. So they were. He was sleeping on a picnic table at the school outside, and he called me. He goes, Amber, I need you to pray right now because he was like vomiting diarrhea at both ends. He said, I am deathly ill. I'm dehydrated, like no water. Blah blah. So. Um, Bad news. I mean, we've had that. We've had... 21-week miscarriage. A tw- that, mm-hmm. Yeah, loss of a baby in Thailand um, was really rough. Because the only thing you're thinking is you want a face. You want an you know, American face. You want somebody you know somebody that can helping. comfort you. And um, we didn't have that. And um, mm-hmm. But I think the worst thing probably that we've ever faced besides a miscarriage is betrayal from Thai people. Like that is, you know, the very people you go to give your life for, Mm. um, that's probably just right up there with one One of the hardest things is when you have kind of betrayal of a disciple, you know, somebody that you've poured your entire life into. Mm. So, Well, you know, and in the center of that, Jesus encourages you, right? So if you had to pick one of the 12 disciples that Jesus had to have in his life in order to fulfill his destiny, who would it be? Yeah. It wouldn't have been Peter and James and John. It would have been Judas. Mm. Like yeah. in order to get to the cross, he had to have Judas. Mm. And we often, oftentimes skip over that reality. Mm. And when one so close to you 
like tears everything apart that you've ever poured your life into. And you're like, what in the world is this person doing? And then he reminds you, like Judas was my only reason I went to the cross. Hmm. Hmm. Nobody else could have gotten me there. I had to have Judas. You're like, it's not easy Lord, I don't want to do this. <laughs> yeah. Look, give me a Peter, this guy who lives on the edge, and like, even if he's not always there, he's there. You know, I mean, give me a John who lays his head on my chest. Yeah. Don't give me a Judas who's going to stab me in the back and then kiss me on the cheek. Mm. And then when it happens, you're like, oh gosh, how deeply it wounds. And then you want to throw your hands up, and then you're like, but I gave my whole life. I didn't, I didn't get into this because of. You know, it goes to, it goes back to uh, Ten Shekels shirt by, if I wouldn't have thought of, uh, I can't remember his name. He did, a, he did a teaching called Ten Shekels shirt. And in that teaching, he went to Africa and, and he said, Lord, why did you send me to Africa? Like, these people hate you. They don't want the gospel. They don't want to have anything to do with it. They don't even like me, Lord. And he said, the Lord's response to it was, I, I didn't send you to Africa for the people or for yourself. I sent you for me. And you're like, okay. I came to town for you, not for anything else. Mm-hmm. Well, not even if the people get saved, right? Well, not, it's not the accolades of the people that we're looking, you know. We're there to see people converted and love Jesus and for Jesus. It's all for Jesus. Right. Which may lend itself to that this next question, but what what kept you there and with all those hardships? Because you know, you're crying out to God, "Am I the right person to, to be here?" Because I can't learn this language. What or you're getting cursed, or you're having miscarriages yeah. and not having your mom or your sister or yeah. best friend there. Yeah. So I would say over the years we both agreed, like almost simultaneously on this one is. So the calling. For us to go to the mission field was so real for both of us separate. It was so real that the word of the Lord has always been the thing that kept us. Yeah. So uh, Clinton was called in Bible school, his second year of Bible school, uh, a missionary from Africa was there and he pointed out over the congregation and he said, the, there's a nation out there that owns you and the blood flowing through your veins is not yours but theirs. And when Clinton heard that, the Spirit of God just hit him, and he was on the floor in intercession for four hours. He came home and told me, hey, we're called to the nations. I'm like, oh, no, we're not. (laughs) (laughs) And um, he just silently, quietly prayed for six months for me to hear that. So we always like to say, I prayed him into salvation, Mm -hmm. and he prayed me into the mission field. And so one night I was spending time with the Lord, and it was like one in the morning, and the Lord just opened up the scripture, Isaiah 55, 5. A nation which knows you not will run to you, and a nation which you do not know you will call your own. And um, so I'm like waking up at 1 in the morning. I'm like, we are called the nations. So that clear, clear call for us has always been the thing that has kept us. Because we have wanted to quit a lot over 20 years. Um, But the fear of the Lord of being outside of God's will, you know. So, like, I mean, we've prayed multiple times, God, release us. Can you release us? So for us, it's a calling. And you can't really just walk away from a calling or you're going to kind of be out wandering in the, in the wilderness if you're supposed to be here. So, I mean, that's yeah. 
the number one thing I think that's kept us. Yeah, I remember sitting uh, during that time of language school, sitting at my computer and just, again, I mean, uh, when you're going through so much pressure, so being from Southeast Texas, literally raised on meat and potatoes, and now I have to eat like this kind of crazy Asian food, rice every meal, curry that you've never even smelled before, market food you're walking through and you're going, I just don't know if I can stomach this. Like, I mean, I was a pretty aggressive guy before Jesus, but getting into this, it was like, whoa, this is totally otherworldly, mm-hmm. right? Culture, the way that Asian culture is compared to American culture, like all of these different things that are going on externally create this internal pressure mm-hmm. that make you question, right? Like, did God really call me? Am I supposed to be I've here? What in the world am yeah. I, what have I done to myself? What have I done to my family? Mm-hmm. So literally sitting there, I remember uh, sitting in this corner, like, computer thing, my hands in my head, just tears saying, Lord, what? You chose the wrong guy. Like, you picked the wrong person. Really, you chose the wrong person. And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, I'll give you a choice, son. And I'm like, yes. I'm out of here. Sorry about that. That was hard right there. And I'm like, yes, I'm out of here. Like, I'm going somewhere else. Send me to someone, one of these countries that speak English. I mean, literally, it was like this, this jump of heart. And, um, and he's so kind. And he's so honest. And he said, I'll give you a choice. Um, you can take your mantle off and you can throw it down. Or you can go around and pick up the mantles of others who've thrown theirs down and gone home. Mm. Wow. And grit. I mean, wow. well, how do you respond to that? Mm. It's like you, you can't take your mantle off and throw it on the ground. Mm-hmm. And then in, and you're like, Ugh. I mean, so the next response was literally just on the floor, repenting. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry. Help me to, to see from your perspective. Let mm-hmm. me look from what you see hear what you say and respond to that rightly because I would never want to take a mantle off. You know, when you think of mantles, you don't think of it as, when we think of a mantle, we probably think of it from kingship or this lordship. We don't see it that way. It's a calling. It's what God's stamped on you and said, this is what you're called to. And when you take that off, and you set it down, then you're literally in this like wondering, mm-hmm. like, what am I supposed to do with my life? Where am I supposed to go? And how yeah. am I supposed to live? And like, really, am I just going to go back to America and get a job? Or am I going to go to America and work for a church? Or, mm-hmm. and, and you get gripped by it, right? You get gripped by this calling. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like in a puddle on the floor in tears, like, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Give me grace to... Keep going, right? Give me grace to keep keep pressing again. So another big one for us too is from the moment the call for missions came. Yeah, I literally devoured every missionary mm-hmm. biography, mm-hmm. autobiography, mm-hmm. but the greats, you know, was so like C.T. Studd. I mean, C.T. Studd, his from cricketer to cricketer pi- pi- pioneer. I made my sons read it before they graduated high school. They had to write a paper on it. <laughs> you know, it's like um, Amy Carmichael, she Jackie Pullinger, yeah. um, Taylor. just all the greats. And so you're, you're looking at men and women who have laid down their life in a much harder scenario than we could ever imagine, yeah. although it was hard for us. 
And you kind of just feel like a baby. If, you know, Dr. Brown, our leader of fire before, Clinton called him, or he wrote, he wrote Dr. Brown, and Dr. Brown called, and he goes, like, he's a prophet, so he's kind of like, he's hardcore. He goes, Clinton, can you imagine going home crying and saying, I just couldn't get the language? He's like, no, you're going to get it. You're going to do it. You're going to persevere. So, you know, that's... We it's did. like the football coach of uh, yes. uh, yeah. prophecy, right? Yes. <laughs> but you know, and then when you read A Chance to Die, right, by Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael. So like... you read this book. Here's 50 years on the mission field. Never leaves. 55. Like she never, she never gets back on a boat and goes anywhere. I mean, we can get on a plane and fly to America and turn right back around and fly back again. Right? And she gives her, lays her whole life down. And she makes this quote. She, she says this thing. She says, uh, talking about the hardship, Right? She said, count the cost because he tells you to. And then take your slate to the foot of the cross and add up the figures there. Yeah, it's like... I mean, you read that kind of statement, you're like, I mean, there's just no comparison. Yeah. Like, I'm eating amazing food now that I love it. <laughs> I'm living in one of the most beautiful countries on the face of the planet. Mm-hmm. People like us at a distance. They love us up close when they can. When they can't understand us, they separate us off. We got a great family we got hardships among us, but life compared to the cross yeah. is nothing. Yeah. Right. And so when you read those kind of missionary quotes, you're like, mm. okay, 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 I'm not suffering the cross in the natural, so I can continue to suffer the things that are going on in life yeah. in wow. comparison. Mm. Our spirit, I'm going to add one more thing. Our spiritual mom... Uh, sent us on the plane in 2001. At that time, you could walk right up to the ramp, you know. And so she's like red-faced, tears, crying. And the thing that she's calling out to us... We're, get, we're literally getting We're getting on, on the, the plane, plane with uh-huh. our two little boys, you know, in our eight suitcases. And she says, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his effort. Mm-hmm. I mean, I even get choked up now. Like, mm-hmm. that is what, that's who we're doing right. it all for. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean... It's just, it's unbelievable, right? When you get this calling and you say, I'm all in. Well, the yeah, this is that worth of Jesus moment, like holy ground right here. Because you can't, as they say, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, what you guys have have chosen, there must be one who is so worth it for us and our listeners to be hearing, you know, these things. And so many of them who listen to this have their own you know, yeah. story like this. Uh, but yeah, just um, Jesus is, is worth our everything. And y'all have yeah. said that in, well, in a dozen ways already. You know, we said it. Um, so we, before we got born again, we like serve the world well, right? We just serve the world well, I would say, uh, full on. Mm. And uh, this preacher said one time, years and years and years ago that uh, when we got born again, we have to serve the Lord until it supersedes the way we serve the world. Wow. Mm. Right? We have to serve the Lord until it supersedes the way we serve the world. And Amber and I have said, hey, we serve that hardcore, wholeheartedly. Like, there was no hold back. Mm -hmm. Right? And so then when we... When G- we found out that Jesus was really who he said he was, it was like, hey, we're really all in. Mm-hmm. Like, it, There's nothing we wouldn't 
give up. There's nothing we wouldn't sacrifice. There's no place we wouldn't go or no food we wouldn't eat or no language we wouldn't learn or no hardship we wouldn't face because... He's worth it. Right? Life life is short and eternity is forever. Yeah. And Jesus paid the price for us to get out of this rightly, mm. to get through this rightly. So, so good. So why Thailand? Yeah. So... I remember being in Bible school, I would walk every morning, and I would pray over the church that we were supposed to pastor. I thought we were going to pastor church in America. So I'm like, okay, every day I prayed over every aspect of that church, what it looked like, what I understood about church. Uh, first day of second semester, like Amber said, our academic dean leaned out over the stage, and he says, there's a nation out there that owns you, and the blood that's running through your body is not your own, but theirs. And just crept, like really low, rolled up in a Filipino flag in the corner of the in the corner of our sanctuary and just wept just hour after hour after hour got up. It's like, we're going to the Philippines. We're going to the nations. So I started leaning that direction. Like that was the first trip I made out, went uh, to the Philippines, went to Australia. When I came, when we came to Thailand the first time, I was like, wow, man, Thailand is so different than any place else. And it, and it like caught our hearts. Right. Uh, got back was we were not sure so we went to our uh, our missions director and said hey we're, we're just not sure we feel like the Philippines is the right place uh, we're just not sure what direction to go and he said uh, which really was the right thing for us at the time he said the place is not as important as as the team that you build to go together mm-hmm. and that really kind of shook us a bit I'm like what like how do you you know how are you gonna do that? Because at the time we weren't part of a team. No, we were in a we were in a, we were in a mentor, mentor group. group with two other families. So we were going. But we weren't to, a team yet, though, right? No, no. Yeah. We were going to uh, Southern Philippines that was Muslim, mm-hmm. and then one family Bangladesh, one family uh, Jordan. Yeah, Jordan. So Jordan. you work in Sudan. Sudan. And so uh, he just said, "I just have a great idea. Why don't y'all ditch your places and you all come together?" And so we were of the mindset back then revival was going on and it was the go message and it was uh, God has already said go so you don't actually have to pray about that and you could close your eyes and just throw a dart and then that's where you go. Like it's not really, that's that was the philosophy. Uh, one of the other things I used to say was uh, God can't. Uh, steer a parked car. So start moving in a direction. If God doesn't want you there, he'll he'll stop it, and you can do something else. But um, so we all ditched our places, began to pray if we we're gonna and joined a team together. And our mission director said, "Well, uh, we have two contacts. We have one in Belgium, or we have one in Thailand." And we're all like hilarious, like we're not going to Belgium. <laughs> <laughs> so we Belgium? left with those three families. Uh, one of the families were still, the one family we walked together 10 years, they came back to the States to um, for their kids to go to high school. So they didn't feel competent in Southern Thailand to homeschool. There's no international school. And then the other family is still in Thailand today. So we've been with them. We're aunts and uncles to each other's children. And um, that's how that's how we did Thailand. I don't think, uh, <laughs> till just now, I don't think I knew that y'all went out with two other we families did. from Fire. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Two other families. All right. I was just on the phone with one of them yesterday yeah. for an hour or so. Huh. Very cool so that's how we got to Thailand. Just mm. it, really, it really wasn't because we felt this burden to, to go to the Thai people. It was just this is where the Lord is leading and... Once we got there, we were overwhelmed by the need. 
And we love, now we love Thai, I mean, we love, we love Thai people. We have five ties in our immediate family. That's what I wanted you to mention. You said, you said so, we have two, we two Thai wives of our children. Or so whatever. we have two Thai adopted sons. Right. We have uh, one of the Thai sons married a Thai, mm-hmm. and they're all from Hot Yai. Our biological firstborn married a girl from Hot Yai, and how many is that? Four. Oh, no, that's four. Sorry, yeah. four. If y'all had five, I was like, no, darn, four. I've never met Sorry. one of your kids that's yet. Right. <laughs> so we have four ties and four half ties in our family. We're very rooted in you enculturated it to, a, to a maximum degree what's something that the the older you wishes that the younger you knew <laughs> just one thing this is funny humility <laughs> we had none when yeah. we got there we look back and cringe and we have said we're sorry to the older missionaries on the field hmm. that was an australian couple they were so gracious i think i probably apologized to them like four or five times hmm. So gracious. You got to be humble. You got to go in like you know nothing because you actually don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Right? But you think you know everything. <laughs> yeah. So true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you come, yeah. So true. Humility. And then I, you know, there's so many things that I look back and go, oh, if I knew that, if I would have done this. So I say two things. One, uh, learn to embrace the season and embrace each one. Don't rush. Don't rush through them. Because uh, we can rush through, like, I'm rushing through the wilderness, or I'm rushing through, you know, if we can just get to the next stage, if we can just get to the next point, if I can just get to the next level, uh, that. And then this one was hold strong to values, but don't hold ideolo- but hold ideologies loosely. So these high-value principles that we carry, right? But we also have these ideologies that we're like, this is, I'm holding on to this. I'm not letting go of this no matter what. It trapped us up sometimes. Right? And that ideology would just hold us in this box and keep us from moving forward or hold us and just put so much pressure and bondage on us that we're like, why in the world did I hold on to that for so long? Mm-hmm. So it would be a difference back, between a, a value and an ideology. This is one of the questions she said. They're going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> you better have examples. Okay, so, so, uh, so here you go. Example. Uh, call to missions versus what's best for kids. Okay. So our call to missions was, so go back before us. The call to missions, if you were called to missions in our grandfather's day, your kids went to boarding school or you didn't go to the mission field. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. There was no questions asked. Mom and dad were going to the mission field. All kids were going to boarding school. Mm-hmm. That's school age, yeah. Right? Once they got to school age, boom, they were gone. Uh, then you move up a generation, and you start getting you start getting homeschool added in there, right? And then it is the holy thing to do homeschool, mm-hmm. like it's holy, above everything else. It's holy. Well, from fire it was, but that's mm-hmm. not. True. Well, that's all we knew. We yeah. didn't we didn't know anything else. It's like the holy thing was to do homeschool. So uh, we have a call. We're sure we're going to go to the call, but we start seeing our kids struggle with school. And we're like, but we're called, and we're called to the hardest place, and we're called to the most remote place and the most remote people, and we could never forsake the call so our kids could go to international school. That would be, like, unholy and Mm. selfish, Mm. right? So our ideology was we've got a calling. 
We're going to stay inside of the calling. We're not going to be moved off of it because it is the value that our kids are suffering. So well, the, Yeah, the ideology would be like, we're called to missions. All those books we read, it has to be hard. Mm. You can't give up. And honestly, very honestly, but we did it in faith. And so that's always my reconciler in my own heart. Mm-hmm. We literally did it in faith, but we, we sacrificed our kids on the altar of our ideology mm-hmm. or else we would, like our kids didn't play sports and they're both very athletic. Mm-hmm. You know, they, were, they, they had nothing. They had village, rural, Thailand because mom and dad were called. Mm-hmm. Now we feel like we are still called, but we can also provide a place in a safe place, in a, in a good place where our kids can thrive. Mm-hmm. And, you know. So the value is following through with the call of God while at the same time giving our children an opportunity to experience the, the things that they need mm-hmm. uh, to make it through, right? So yeah. that they're not like, okay, we had to sacrifice everything because our parents were called. Right. Well, why don't you guys just pray a prayer of blessing and impartation for all of us as we finish. Okay. Father, we thank you uh, for Jesus. We, um, we never want to take for granted uh, what he paid for us to have life. We never want to take advantage of it. We never want to look at it as um, one piece among many. We want to keep it the central piece of everything of our lives, that Jesus laid his life down so that um, our lives could be taken up. And we thank you for him. Lord, I pray for every person who uh, hears us, who has taken the time to listen through these things. Anything that we said that wasn't profitable, Lord, let it be forgotten. But everything that you are saying to your sons and your daughters who are listening to this, I ask you for ears to hear and a heart to understand. And that the Spirit of the Lord would speak to each person, give them strength and courage and grace, empower them with the Holy Spirit to walk totally free in every area that you've spoken to them to walk. Lord, you said my grace is sufficient for powers made perfect in weakness, and when we are weak, then we are strong. Lord, that you would give resilience to your sons and daughters, everyone who listens to this, that their heart would be overwhelmed with your power and your presence, and that you, Lord, would release that power in them and through them to continue to run their race. May each person in this room who hears this, Lord, may they run their race in such a way as to gain the prize. May they get to the end with their knee bowed before you and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of the Lord. In everything that they're facing right now, all the struggle, the pain, the misunderstanding, the hurt, the betrayal, Lord, the loss, everything that they're facing, may they see it through the eyes of eternity, knowing that when they close their eyes for the last time, they will never face loss again because you've provided for everything for the, that they will need. Lord, bless, strengthen, encourage, make your face to shine upon each one and give them grace in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks, Clinton and Amber. We love so you guys. Good. Yeah, thank love you. Y'all. Thank y'all for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. We enjoyed it. Wow.
Well, listeners, thanks again for tuning in. That does it for this episode of Resiliency. You can follow us on Instagram at Resiliency Podcast. And so for now, I'm Silas West, and thank you for listening to Resiliency. Resiliency.